0: Up your fucking game.
1: <laughs> A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev tear down this. Get the fuck out of here. The American people I think is good people. They are they have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies oh, you're my wife
2: now.
1: I know not
2: Welcome back to the Cold War Show uh, episode, ooh, I'm, I'm going to guess and say 156. All right. All right. Give or take. Uh, how, how, how are you,
0: Raimondo? I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm slowly starting to look like a hermit. Uh, the weather can't make up its mind and the family's still fucking here. But other than that, I, I'm doing pretty good. Not cracking mm-hmm. at all.
2: How about you? Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was just... Chrissy uh, made pancakes this morning, and so um, me being, you know, a lover of life, I ate like 15 pancakes. (laughs) Um, Sat on the lounge uh, to rest my huge belly. Fox came up and sucker punched me two fists (laughs) in the stomach like like wrestling move. WWE threw himself up in the air, came down... Arms locked, you know, uh, straight out. Superman flying through the sky style. Two fists, boom, in the stomach. So that was oh. it Was fun. Oh, and I and I've been up since three a.m. because uh, he oh, woke me up God. at three a.m. and I couldn't get back to sleep. But apart oh. from that, I uh, you know I managed. So what I ended up doing was uh, watching old videos of Tito on the YouTube, right. like these old movie reel clips. And, and I realised who was born to play Marshall Tito. If you're going to do a biopic of Marshall Tito, have a right. listen to this. Now, you can't see it, but you can hear it. Picture his face, listen to this voice, mm-hmm. and see if you're with me at the end.
1: Marshall Tito, would you like to take this opportunity when you are appearing before the people of America to give them any special message?
2: This is Tito being interviewed, 1952.
1: Yes, I will take this opportunity to send my greetings to America's people
0: and uh, plenty best wishes. Also, on all these America Americans who have sympathy for our uh, for uh, free and independence Yugoslavia. Now,
2: you, you can't you can't see it, but if you see it and get the voice at the same time, right? Uh, it's uh, he's Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci, ah, little squat, yes. little square head. Yes, that that high voice. You know, he did Tito with Tito with the Jersey accent. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he could do it. He could get away with it. He could get away with it. I. But I tell you, the other the other right. guy. Right is, it just came to me then, is this? <laughs> now wait a minute, just a minute. There's only. Is one thing you need in life and to make make you happy, and that is friends. That's all you need is friends, and then you'll be happy.
1: Right.
2: So if you have friends you, you'll be a happy 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 person. Yes. Yeah?
0: Yeah, yeah. I can see him.
2: Yeah. He where where was, Lat- where was Latka? Where was Latka supposed to oh. be from? He was just Oh. Uh, yeah. That's a good point. I don't know He's where a- Latke, just from just from the old country. Uh, according to Wikipedia, Latka's <laughs> Latka's home country is never disclosed, only referred right. to as the old country. Right.
0: Isn't that uh, like some America? fans have
2: theorized that right. Latka may be from a fictional Baltic country island named Caspia?
1: which Kaufman
2: claimed foreign man was from. So there you go. So listen to Andy Kaufman doing Latka. You'll be happy. Right. (laughs) If you have friends, you'll be happy. Now listen to Marshall Tito. Yeah. Uh, For uh, free
0: and independence, he was lying. Come on, man. He kind of nailed it. Come on. He nailed it. His audition was flawless. Flawless audition. So if you get...
2: When, when Marty Scorsese makes uh, the, the right. biopic of uh, Tito's Yugoslavia, he, he needs to get Joe Pesci to play the role of Marshall Tito doing an Andy Kaufman right. Latka from Taxi impersonation. There you go. Oscar! Solved. You're welcome. I spent on Oscar. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome, Marty. Half You're your welcome. work is done. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So, obviously, we're still talking about Marshall Tito. um, Yes. So much fun. You know, the man who told Stalin to go suck a dick, suck a bag of dicks, (laughs) uh, and was beloved. The great thing, like, there's a lot of great YouTube clips. You've probably seen them because I know that's where you do 98% of your research. Um, At least. Have you seen these, like, Tito... With the Queen of England, with Prince Charles, uh, with Prince Philip, with Churchill, with Nixon. He was beloved by everybody in the West yeah. after he told Stalin to go suck a bag the- of dicks. <laughs> and, and, and like these old, these old clips are great. They're like, Marshall Tito from Yugoslavia. Arrived in England today, and even though he is a brutal communist dictator, he was met welcomely and warmly by Prime Minister <laughs> Churchill and Foreign Minister Anthony Eden and the Queen and Prince Philip all sucked his dick. Because <laughs> while he may be a brutal communist dictator, he's our brutal communist dictator. Brutal communist dictator. If he's you're the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Exactly. Mr. Churchill so Mr. Mr. Churchill said. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Mr. Churchill who has once had Comrade Stalin's dick in his mouth, (laughs) now has Marshal Tito's dick in his mouth. He said, once you've sucked one communist dick, they're all the same. That's that's so true. Communist dick. It's lovely. In the morning. It's like a cigar. (laughs) I I tried to light it once, but it didn't work out that well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it lit me up. I can tell you.
2: <laughs> oh, and besides, that's telling not s- smoke. That's not <laughs> smoke coming out the end of it. I have to tell you,
0: <laughs> that's friction. That's a completely different matter. In
2: 1934, yes, the new yes. Archbishop of Zagreb, Alojzije Stefanach sounds right. Stepanac. Stepanac. Allah wishes. <laughs> it's a for you. You just got yeah. punched in the stomach Step on up. Right. Step on up. Moving on up. Um, Sorry. Started promoting a group. It's called Catholic Action. So he's the Catholic Archbishop of Zagreb. Right. Now, which one, right? Spot test. Which one are the Catholics? The Serbians or the Croats? Or the Slovenes? Uh, the Croats? Yeah. C, baby. Croat Catholic. That's ah, how. That's gotcha. my heuristic. Croats okay, are Catholics. You. Serbians are Orthodox. The yeah. Slovenes are also mostly Catholic. Um, and then, obviously, there's a lot of Muslims in there, which is the, uh, the rest of them. We'll get into that. So anyway, yeah. the new Catholic, obviously, Archbishop of Zagreb, started promoting this group called Catholic Action now uh Catholic action like had been it. around since the late nineteenth century in Europe, acting as like a, a form of counter propaganda to the rising feeling of of anger towards Catholicism in Europe right. you know in the nineteenth right. century we've had the we've had the french Revolution we've had uh revolution in america uh there's people in Europe, they, you know, they've seen Napoleons run around and built this idea of nationalism, and you can, you can get rid of your churches, get rid of your yeah. monarchies. Um, they, they fell back into that for a bit, but then, you know, by the late eighteenth century, sorry, late nineteenth century, a lot of them are like, yeah, you know what? Fuck the church, fuck the kings. <laughs> Uh, Marx ass. is running around, and the the first right. internationals running around, and they 're going you know what it 's t- it 's a new era, new time, yeah. and so the Catholics created this thing called Catholic action, not really a political party, more of like a political movement That that's its right. whole thing was no Catholics <laughs> oh yeah, look, just forget about the Inquisition and all that yeah. kind of stuff now we 're great we 're fantastic, the yeah, best. good people, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And in Yugoslavia, Stefanac, the archbishop, used it to rail against the evils of Ugh. communism, liberalism, secular education, divorce reform, swearing, adultery, fornication, hey, like and this. above all, the white plague. Right. What did he mean by the white plague, Ray?
0: Oh, was that when the white master race uh, was using birth control and not having enough babies to outdo the, how should I put this, uh, people slightly darker than ourselves?
2: Yeah, as opposed to the uh, Jews. I I thought you were going to say the Jews. They're the sort of Middle Eastern plague for the Catholics. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, birth control. Coitus interruptus, abortion, any form of birth control. Oh. Bad. And, and... He denounced mixed sunbathing and swimming <laughs> on the uh, coast of Yugoslavia, the Dalmatian coast. Right? Oh, that's not right. <laughs> First it starts God. with swimming, right. you know, but then you know what comes after swimming? Uh, yeah, sunbathing. And after right. sunbathing, right, you get all warm, tingly, yeah. And then, right? Then you'll be doing coitus interruptus on the beach. <laughs> but Have do ever, do it. You ever had sex? You ever had yeah. sex on a beach?
0: I've had the drink, sex on the beach, and I've had sex on the beach while being drunk too. Sex on the beach, the drink, sex on the beach squared.
2: I'm lost. You had a drink called sex on the beach while, while you were having sex having, on the beach.
0: Yes, sipping and humping, sipping and humping. It was awesome. <laughs> But don't have coitus interruptus at least an hour after you swim. What? Go
2: ahead. What? Don't have coitus interruptus what?
0: Is it something uh, before or after you swim because you don't want to get cramps? Or am I thinking of eating? I could be thinking of eating. (laughs) That's why you sunbathe, to get the food or whatever in time to settle, and then you can hop.
2: Uh, there's, a, there's a coffee mug. <laughs> Never have quite us, interrupt us half an hour after eating, within half an hour of eating. <laughs> uh, coffee mug. Now, I went back. I was like, really? Like, what was this issue with swimming and sunbathing? I went back and had a look at women's bathing suits in the right. uh, like the oh. early 30s. round And... You know, women's bathing suits in the 30s looked like moo moos, really. They right. were just like yes. uh, big baggy things so you couldn't see any flesh. Neck to ankles. I don't know. I, I'm not going to yeah. be swimming. I'm not going to be looking at that guy. oh. Ooh, just I mean, imagine.
0: Maybe, what's maybe when under they got that.
2: wet, they sort of they hugged the body Club, a little yeah. bit. yeah. That oh, if they had a frame I'm underneath them there. to prevent the body hugging. <laughs> yes, you'd <Yes. laughs> be quite as Keep interrupting going. on the on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I gotta wipe that off now. Anyway, that's <laughs> not cigar smoke. <laughs> uh, but over the course of the thirties, they did start to get shorter. Of course, the bikini wasn't invented until after World War Two. And do you yes. know why it was called the bikini ray?
0: By no, I was going to make something up, but no, I don't know. Tell me.
2: Do you know who designed
0: it? Um, was it some French or Italians? I really don't know. I have no idea.
2: Mm, a French automotive engineer. Sounds right. Louis Rialt, oh, which makes really? a lot of sense. Explains a lot. Um, oh. He 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 he. he he, well, the story is he wasn't the first guy to invent a scantle, scanty, scanty, slim, whatever you want scantily, to call it. Scantily? Slim. Right. Slim, yeah, well, they're scantily clad. Right. Um, another guy beat him to it. Jacques Haim, who was actually a clothes designer in Makes France, sense. Right. came out with his design for a skimpy two-piece, um, mm. the first bathing suit to show off the navel <gasps> a month a month before Louis Riad, and he called his the Atom because it was small. It was like, you know, oh, tiny, small, right. like an atom. But right. then the uh, Americans conducted their first peacetime nuclear weapons test at Bikini Atoll. And so oh, Louis Riad yeah. said, put the car down for a second, got a great idea, ripped off <laughs> Jacques Heim, <laughs> Right. And called his the bikini after Bikini Atoll, mm-hmm. and his and he obviously brought in Barry and Stan for that, and right. they yes. they they said, look, you know, much catchier name bikini right. than the atom. Atom sounds like a great name for a superhero, <laughs> and and for a while there, they flipped it around. The superhero was called Bikini Man, <laughs> and. But nobody and, was afraid of him. And, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, would you? Well, be? the Archbishop of Zagreb was because he, right. he, you know, he showed way too much flesh and he was always sunbathing. <laughs> that was his. That was his superpower: was showing right. his navel and sunbathing and turning <laughs> people on. So uh, he, <laughs> he got denounced the by people. the
0: Catholics, right? Right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Riyadh came with the bikini, and of course it was a big hit, but. Right. In my uh, research for, uh, around the bikini, I discovered that there is a uh, um, uh, what do you call it? The old Roman things with tiles. Cer- oh, oh, uh, mosaic, tile. um,
0: um, mosaic, mosaic. Fuck,
2: yes, yes. Little, oh, little, was, little f- delay
0: there, but I make up for it in the
2: end. <laughs> Uh, right there's a mosaic from Sicily dated somewhere around 300 CE in nice. the Roman villa Romana de Casale uh-huh. that has women running around wearing bikinis. Hell yeah, so, oh, always all the picture you put up. Yeah. yeah. So they, Lay you know, around. the Romans uh, again way ahead. <laughs> as just before the Christians took over, too. they just got in everything. there invented the bikini. Ruined. Constantine came along, shut that shit and, uh, down, and yeah. ruined. Yeah, yeah. There he goes, yeah, get rid of those bikinis, <laughs> cut that shit out. You might turn people on. They're like, that's the point. And he goes, nah, <laughs> no, 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 we don't, we don't do Focus that. Focus on the soul. Um, anyway. mm, mm. so back to the Archbishop Stepanach. So do you need to get no. that? And by keeping you from something, you got you got things going on there. Are you busy? Like, is, what's going on?
0: You, it's all
2: about you, Cam. No, I'm. Who's I'm texting focused. you? Who are you sexting with? <laughs> yeah, who are you sexting? Show show me. Show everybody, Ray. Let the whole class see. What's that? Uh, Who's sending you dirty pictures? <laughs> who is it?
0: Uh, Tito's granddaughter sent me a picture of herself in a bikini. No, um it was there was absolutely nothing and I would like to apologize for the interruption mm-hmm. to everyone, mm-hmm. not just to Cam, but to you're everyone. Covering,
2: you're, you're covering up something, I can tell. <clears throat> of course I am. You're lying. How do I know? Your lips are moving. Okay, so uh, Arch, the Archbishop, was writing anti-Soviet letters to his diocese every week, often anti-Semitic. I have an example here of one. No wonder horrors take place. Jew Marxists are aliens. The land is alien to them and they are alien to the people over whom they rule. Mm. So they run the countryside with great facility. They lightheartedly undertake scientific experiments on peoples. No misfortune which befalls Russia, neither famine nor death, touches them. These Jew Marxists behaved abominably when they built the great canals through which flowed the blood of the poor workers before they were filled with water. These canals to the White Sea were built by prisoners under Jewish overseers from Jagoda to Kogan, Berman, Sukkar, Rappaport, and Transol, the chief engineer. Chief. And this stuff gets so, believed. So, uh... Yeah. Because it's, and yeah. He's, he's the Catholic Archbishop yeah. of Zagreb. Exactly. Um, exactly, You know. So he's believed. The Jew Marxists. Right. Oh...
0: They're the worst. So he's taking Jews in Mexico, yeah, with the uh, Soviet Russia. They are the enemies of everything indecent and everything that we stand for.
2: Mm. Bullshit. He went, he went to pledge his allegiance to King Alexander in 1934, and he said, I warned the king that the Croats must not be improperly provoked. right. And even forbidden to use the very name of Croat, something which I had myself experienced. Oh shit.
0: Yeah, because we said on a couple of Sorry. episodes ago, the Serbs were heavy handed and the Croats have, uh, have felt the lash um, in, in different forms because they were discriminated against as far as joining the police, the army, the education, the railways. You know, the Postal Service is basically a good middle class income with security. The Croats and um, and Muslims, I imagine, were being not treated very well by the Serbs who wanted it all for themselves.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know the archbishop apparently let the king know, yes. "Hey, we Croats are uh, Croats are people too. <coughs> we want our rights." That's right. So this all came to a head on the seventh of October, nineteen thirty-four, when King Alexander was invited to France. And an Ustasha agent shot him dead minutes after he arrived in Marseille. <laughs> I've actually got a news clip. Damn! Here. Uh, Hello, Bam. I've got like a, an old ti- got an old timey news clip. Right. These are the
1: first pictures from Marseille of the arrival of the late King Alexander of Yugoslavia on board the light cru- cruiser Dubrovnik. Monsieur Pietri, the French Minister of Marine, greets His Majesty on the deck of the Yugoslav ship with a fervour that augurs well for the King's visit. The French, who are allied to Yugoslavia, were to give him a fitting welcome on this all-important occasion. The escort of the first Mediterranean squadron was a fitting background as His Majesty took to the pinnace which carried him to the old harbour, where he was met by that veteran statesman, Monsieur Louis Barthou, the 74-year-old French Foreign Minister. Massed troops and vast crowds witnessed in a forest of flying flags, the warmth and affection of the meeting of these two great men on the Quai de Belges. Then, swift tragedy. The car in which His Majesty and Monsieur Batu were so happily riding into the city had hardly travelled a hundred yards when suddenly the Croat murderer sprang from the crowds to the running board and poured a hail of lead into its two occupants. The king, mortally wounded, sank back into the cushions of the car, never again to open his eyes. Within a few minutes, the end had come. Barely five minutes after landing on French soil, Alexander of Yugoslavia was dead. Louis Barthou was badly wounded and was taken to hospital, where he too, an hour later, passed away. The murderer was struck down by the sword of a mounted French officer, and whilst he lay on the ground still firing, the crowds, frenzied with rage, threw themselves on him. By the time the police got him away, he too was dead. By his hand, two nations are plunged into grief. Two nations have lost of their greatest, lost them by violence whilst they were striving for a better understanding and peace. Tonight, the flickering candles cast dim shadows over Alexander and Baptou as they lie side by side at the prefecture. Is the peace of their last long sleep so tragically fresh in our minds to be an omen of the future?
2: go. And there's amazing footage with that clip, too, of them you know, uh, driving down the street with right. the crowds in the car and then there's no footage of the actual shot. But, you know, within like a minute later of yeah. Alexander dead in the back seat of the car and close-ups, fantastic uh, historical footage. I
0: have to call bullshit on that entire reel. Bullshit! That was clearly you, you doing a voice with some old timey wimey music in the background. Faith. Fuck you, Cam! If you can't be bothered to do some goddamn research, then don't put on these stupid little shows. God, your ego gets on my nerves sometimes. The fuck!
2: So this all came to a head <laughs> on the seventh of October, nineteen thirty-four, when an agent shot dead the most beloved. I thought you are gonna call bullshit on when he's like. You know, the nation mourns. No, not no. really, because he was a dick, Alexander. Uh, <laughs> you uh, go dick. He was a real dick, yeah. as, we've, as we've talked about. Yeah, he's a major, he was a major dick. Yeah. Um, Louis Bartou, I can't speak for, but King Alexander, a bit of a dick. Yeah. Anyway, the the guy who had plotted the murder was our old friend, Anto Pavelic, yes. the uh, leader of the Ustashi, the... Catholic fascists uh, out of Yugoslavia. He was living in Italy at the time. Yeah, fascist, terrorist, Catholic organization. (laughs) He was getting financial support and protection from Germany, Hungary, and Bulgaria. Yes. So the assassination by a Yugoslav of the Yugoslav king in France- led to some conflict between the the Germany, Hungary, and Bulgaria, the countries that were supporting the Ustasha, and Britain and France on the other side. Now, this is only 20 years, obviously, after a Serb (laughs) killed the Austrian, Franz Ferdinand. Now you've got a Croat killing the king of the Serbs. Uh, It's it's all all very days of (laughs) lives, Right.
0: But fortunately for us and fortunately for the world, uh, the government in Belgrade um, did not overreact. There was a bit of moderation to which the rest of Europe was relieved because, yes, this could have easily have sparked another thing. As uh, Otto von Bismarck said years ago, the next major war is going to come from some Somebody in the Balkans doing something crazy. So was this going to be another one of those? But fortunately, um, no one overreacted. They had a a plan in place for a smooth transition to government. And like I said, everybody uh, breathed a sigh of
2: relief. Unfortunately, King Alexander's last words after his shot was, they said, who should we give the throne to? He said, to the strongest. (laughs) And they were like, what does it mean? (laughs) No, not again. (laughs) There's only one choice. No, that was a different yeah, Alexander. Yeah, a different one. That was the yeah, other Alexander yeah. who said that, yeah. not this Alexander. Yeah. Now, Alexander was succeeded by his 11-year-old son, Peter II, because, you know, there's nothing, nothing that assures the stability oh, yes. of an empire. Time and time again. You know, historically, he no. was a student of history, oh, yeah. King Alexander. And when he came up with this plan, he knew exactly what he was doing. Yes. Like nothing assures the successful transition of power in a country than passing it to a child. Yeah. Like with, like if history has taught us anything, <clears throat> it's that the wisest thing you can possibly do in a time of great national crisis right. is to hand unlimited <clears throat> power to a boy that doesn't yet have hair on his the balls. The younger the better. Because, yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> The younger, (laughs) the greener, the better. His voice hasn't dropped yet. That's. I'm the king. There's actually there's video of him (laughs) on YouTube at this time. Did you see any of that? No, I did not. Of him making snowballs and playing in the snow. Child. Halfrey gets word that his father's dead. Yeah, because he's eleven. I'm eleven.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. he didn't have to run the state. Obviously, I think I believe it's his uncle Prince Paul, who is going to be regent. Who I think, to some degree, tries not to be a cunt. But you still got this, you know, this almost big moment where there could have been another major war in Europe because of this general region. But they they slide a new guy in there as regent, and they go about their business.
2: Yeah, mm. Prince Paul, Prince of Paul. Yeah, you know, that that's. Yeah. That that's always a good plan as well. Um, you know the regent yeah. with the kids, uh, heart of gold. I mean, oh yeah, that's always gone well. <laughs> always always gone well in all in history. You know, never never anything has ever gone never wrong starved, with putting an never uncle. Never starved anybody to death. Making the yeah. uncle a reg- no, no jail no, no 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 there, no way he's going to end up in the tower. Like <laughs> like this is a foolproof foolproof plan. Nothing could possibly go wrong here. Like they've yes. just you really have to admire the Yugoslavs here because they really thought about this mm-hmm. down like they've dotted every i, crossed every t. It's like that video you posted of the two guys trying to break the uh log. Did you like that? Like the amount of planning that went into this is astounding, really. I oh, know we've We've talked in the past about Julius Caesar having plans after <laughs> right. behind plans behind right. plans behind <laughs> plans. We've talked about you know, <laughs> Stalin at Yalta yeah. with you know his, the, the depth of his uh, you know tactics and negotiations oh, yes. and his plans and his father. We've talked about we've talked about uh, uh, Ho Chi Minh with this like deep deep. 30 yes. year, 40 Patience. year vision for the freedom of his yes. people, or Mao Zedong and Dao, uh, Deng Xiaoping, and their long term, 100 year view for their people to go from backwards to being the greatest economy on the right. planet. And, 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 you know, the- <laughs> King Alexander of Yugoslavia. <laughs> <coughs> uh,
0: it was basically know. he's dead. Oh, did the dead guy have a brother? Congratulations, you are now regent. That was pretty much the extent of the selection process.
2: But as you say, the Serbs were a lot more chill than the Austrians were in 1914. In fact, they had a big funeral. Hermann Goering yeah. turned up at the funeral, which I gotta say was a ballsy act <laughs> uh, when you're financing yes. and protecting the guys who coordinated the assassination to go, hey, yes. yeah, I'm here. It's either. It's either like the greatest form of gaslighting ever. <laughs> he goes, "Oh, you, 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 did it." I mean, I, yeah. I don't know. You made yeah. us do it. We, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, we, or deny. It. He's like, "What? Us have anything to do with the fascists? Right. No. no. What? No, you're thinking about the other Nazis, <laughs> not us. Like, they, they, we don't know anything about this. Or right. it's an act of, yeah, yeah, we yeah. did that. What are you going to do yeah. about it?" Hey, 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 We're you want to fight? Because I'll fight right. you. I'll take you out right now. Right. Yeah. I'll sit on you. I'll take. Don't
0: don't let. Yeah, your 11 year old kid, Herman Gehring, was a fat uh, rotund, beat, obese guy. he could just sit on the 11 year old kid. Game over.
2: <laughs> I don't think he was fat at this stage, was he? 1934. I don't think he was. We had to look him a... up, but he yeah, was getting there because he, that... he had
0: a back problem and he was addicted to some painkillers that made him hungry all the time or something. But I'm not sure. I, I'd have to, I don't know his exact waist size for, in 1934. Yeah. I apologize.
2: He would have been 40. Uh, I've got... Uh, I'm looking for a photo of him around about this period. <laughs> got a photo of him here in Berkisgar. Oh, uh, yeah, he's a bit of a fat cunt in 1936, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah okay. That's yeah, okay. one for Ray. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only one I'll get. But it feels good, baby! Woo! Hey, speaking of speaking of the Nazis, I watched this great <laughs> right? video uh, this morning. We've talked about this before, you know um, Hitler's inside voice and his right. outside Hitler. voice.
0: Yes, yes. You know
2: we you know how we've we've talked Hitler. about how uh, when you when you hear Hitler, right. like off stage, oh. he was co- completely different. Here, I'm going to play this clip. Here's Hitler on stage. <laughs>
1: und das deutsche volk
2: zu Okay, so we all know that Hitler. Yes. Here's Hitler in, in a little private meeting in Berkesgaden with some guys. Okay, yeah, so this first one is him giving a little thank you speech to some people somewhere. Um, just just a small group of people, but it's on camera. Listen to this. Right.
0: dieses wunderbare Regiment des deutschen volkes und unserer Bewegung
1: meinen Namen trägt
2: like he's he just and, he, and and you know he looks like it yeah. looks like a normal right, guy yeah. here's him speaking to some british uh, officials uh, well, v- world war 1 veterans and he's talking to them about something
1: in baden wird uh, die, die rhein uh, diese wird ebenfalls kultiviert yeah. sehr viel land mm. his heute dadurch dass wir gewisse die sind oder und so weiter wir
2: just talking about a uh, little little bit of swamps they've reclaimed. Yeah, we're doing a great job. And here's him, the one that we've played, I think, before, talking before, talked about it. Him talking, uh, this is just an audio clip of him speaking to the Finnish Marshal Mannerheim in 1942 about the fact that the uh, Soviets had 35,000 tanks and he couldn't believe it. Remember, this was secretly recorded mm-hmm. by a Finnish audio guy on a train somewhere
1: six
2: thousand punks under income yeah just just a guy. guy yeah this is where this is where he's saying if somebody had told me a nation could start with thirty five thousand tanks, then I've said you're crazy <laughs> well, we have destroyed right now more than thirty four thousand tanks. If someone had told me this, I'd have said, you if you're one of my generals. If you or one of my generals had started that any nation had thirty-five thousand tanks, I'd have said, "You, my good sir, you see everything twice or ten times. You're crazy. <laughs> you see ghosts. Get out of you're here! Crazy. Thirty-five thousand tanks. You're crazy."
0: Yeah, and they were better than
2: ours. Here's the rest of yeah. the quote. This I would have deemed possible. I told you earlier we found factories. One of them at Kaya, for example. Two years ago, there was just a couple of hundred tanks. We didn't know anything. Today, there's a tank plant where during the first shift, a little more than 30,000 and around the clock, a little more than 60,000 workers would have labored. A single tank plant, a gigantic factory, masses of workers who certainly lived like animals and somebody goes in the Donets area yep. and he goes on saying something, something, something. But yeah, just uh, a good guy Hitler. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's just like uh, have a co- have yeah. a coffee
2: have a coffee with Hitler Hitler. Sounds like he's
0: having a yeah, beer and just cracked one open and talked. Hey, before we go on, I, that reminds me, could you give us, Cameron, an example of your podcast voice versus your Every day eating 15 pancakes voice. (laughs) Not the sex voice because I don't want to scare anybody.
2: Yeah, well, you know, this is my podcast voice. (laughs) I talk like this. (laughs) Fox always says, Mommy, why is Daddy yelling all the time? You know, I like this. But the rest of the time. (laughs) Yeah, just, hey, what's up? That's what my girls do. Yeah,
0: yeah. my girls like, Dad. You come, I come upstairs and the girls are like, Dad, all you do is laugh. I'm like, no, it's history. Mm. It's just funny history. So history they, they don't think
2: I do any work. Funny, yeah. Yeah, just funny. Just funny. So Herman Goering, fat cunt Goering, <laughs> went and uh, they, they treated him very well. And he ended up saying he really admired the Serbs. They were his enemies in World War One, But he said, oh, they're, we're yeah, they're all right. Cool. got right, these Serbs, yeah, don't mind them. They kiss my ass. Now, yeah. while this is going on, Tito was in Slovenia when he hears of King Alexander's murder. Since he got out of prison, he had become a full-time worker for the Communist Party, yes. living and travelling all over Europe on different passports with different <clears throat> names. There's some great stories in um, Sir Francis Maclean's book. Did you right. read any of those stories about his uh, identity mishaps?
0: No, please, if you have one, share it.
2: Oh, I don't have them written down, but okay. I, just, I just don't remember one of them. He was he was asleep on a train and some guard wakes him up and says, uh, you know, what's your name? I think it's like a Nazi guard. What's your name? And he, he he doesn't remember the name that's on the passport that he's got. He has to sort of distract the guard so he can <laughs> sneak a look at the name and his passport and tell him the name. And the, yeah, yeah. there's another, He goes, ha, ha, ha. Oh you am- have you got a passport I- in your handkerchief. <laughs> Achoo! Herman Goering, that's my name. No, wait, shit. Um there's another there's another story where uh I can't remember what I think it was, yeah, I can't remember what language it was, but he, he was faking his nationality. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been uh English or something. And uh, like fake name, fake passport, English passport. And the guard that uh, was interrogating him, he saw the passport and asked him, started talking to him in English. And Tito could only get out a couple of words. Right. And turned out the guard was actually a secret communist and just said, listen, next time (laughs) (laughs) it might help to actually have a passport. Of a nationality with a language you can speak, I'm just saying. Capisce? So yeah. he had a few few close runs right. uh, running around on the fake passport. It's not all like uh, Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible, right. rubber mask, you know, yeah, fluent in off. all the languages. Right. Yeah.
0: But yeah, so yeah, he did the passports, he did the names, the fake beards, the facial hair, whatever. But this was also the time where he was being, no- he was known as Tito, which was a common name in that region. So John, Tim, Bill, whatever, guy, that was the name he was going by. And it, it was, I think it was, it probably helped him that it was a very common name. He didn't stand out. And that's the whole point.
2: Taney when they came to arrest him, they go, which one of you is Tito. <laughs> I'm Tito. No, I'm Tito. I'm Tito. I'm Tito Please, and so is pipi. my mother. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so soon after uh, King Alexander had been assassinated, Tito gets told by the Communist Central Committee to go to Vienna and then to Moscow, nice. where he's going to work for the Comintern in Moscow. Now, this is not a great time to be going to Moscow to be working <laughs> for the common Because what's going on yeah. in 1934 in Moscow, Ray? Well, I guess there's many different
0: ways you can put it, but basically there's a lot of... Um opportunist there's a lot of careerism there's a lot of people who are taking shortcuts but at the same time there is Stalin as you've made this point time and time again who is removing people who are not getting on board the program people are disappearing people are being shot it's the purges um, are you a real communist are you are you just looking to not get in trouble and maybe you know have a steady paycheck or whatever or are you a true believer as Tito seemed to be in a certain context so there's a lot of people who are just disappearing overnight and it's a very eerie time to be there and the only reason he's there is because he can speak russian he can speak german he can come in handy but that doesn't guarantee
2: his safety yeah i mean and a lot of communists are getting caught up in it as well because they're not good they're not the right kind of communists gotta be the right as we'll see well, yep. you you got to be on board with Stalin's version of communism. It doesn't right. matter if you you yeah. Well, I've read Marx. That's not it's not Fuck enough. You. <laughs> you, you you have to because again, I've explained this before, but there are lots of different uh, versions of communism, right. e- even in Russia at the time. And you still got the Trotskyists and the Bakuninists and you've got a whole bunch of different uh, sects. It's like uh, right. you got your Protestants and your Catholics and your Mormons. You know, they all think that they're the only right form of Christianity. Sure. And you got the Sunni yeah. and the Shia and Islam. Same with the communists. Uh, you know, they—they they, it's like Democrats and Republicans. Uh, they, they all think that they've got the right vision. And Stalin wanted to make sure that his vision, his leadership, his vision, his model was the only one that was going to happen. Um, For whatever reasons. You can say it was for purely ambitious, selfish reasons. You can say it's because he really believed that his vision was the right one for the Russian people, the Soviet people. Mm -hmm. I mean, depending on... Or you can say it's a bit of both. I mean, depending on which side of this you want to come down on. Right. Now... uh, Getting out of uh, Yugoslavia, though, wasn't easy because <laughs> keeping in mind, he's, this is illegal. Being a communist in Yugoslavia under King Alexander yep. or under King Peter II uh, right. is illegal. He's hunted like he has been for many years now. He's yes. always hunted and in prison uh, for being a communist. So he has to he has to sneak out of the country. Now, he's on the border Uh, they're they're checking everyone's papers, looking for suspicious uh, people trying to get out. And luckily for Tito, there's an Austrian woman who asked him to hold her baby. Uh, which you know, uh, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but people come up to me all the time, just in in public, random strangers, right. and just say, "Hey, can you hold my baby?" Really? And then they run away. Yeah, uh, yeah, they just take off. People, come I've up. got fifteen babies <laughs> in the back room there. I just, I, you know, I'm selling them out the back, and it's crazy. People come up
0: to me and they go, "Is this your baby?" So, so almost same scenario, mm-hmm. um, but I've got fifteen kids too. So we need to work hard at this.
2: Well, it's, uh, uh, the the guy reminds me of the guy in uh, Chrissy's hometown in Utah who we were there when Fox was a baby and um he assumed that Chrissy was my daughter and that <laughs> fox right. was my grandson right yeah. <laughs> that's what I said yeah yeah and she's my daughter, he's my grandson and my son I have the think about it think about it think about uh. it yeah, that's right, yeah that's think about it. Of-
0: Peeps, we are
2: yes. Oh, it reminds me of that time when Chrissy and I were uh, hiking through uh, Yosemite with her dad. Her dad, and uh, we finished the hike. We got back to camp. He and I were sitting there having a beer. She went to she, she went to say, "I'm going to go get have a shower, whatever." And we're having a beer like twenty minutes, and he, and he goes, and "He points to this woman bending over the boot of a car, you know, about fifty meters." We goes, "Oh, check out the ass on that, and hey, that's hot." Yeah, 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 look at that. Oh, oh. <laughs> And turns around it's Chrissy. And and he's like, Oh, oh and I'm like, Oh well, hey. You You're know, not wrong. I, I don't know how the yeah. I don't know how they do things where you come from. Well I do actually. <laughs> you, you used to be a Mormon. Love marrying fourteen year old girls, but if you
0: could uh, not tap that anymore, I'd appreciate it, Dad. Thank you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she asked him to hold her baby, the baby right. wet itself. Right. It was uh, a part on his of the plan. knees. Yes. And the guy. Yeah, it's the old wet baby <coughs> trick. <laughs> Everyone knows that. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he had a wet baby. <laughs> Everyone knows that. <laughs> you greatest just squeeze the baby. greatest trick. Yeah. The old wet baby <laughs> trick, eh, <Hey, laughs> Chief? <laughs>
0: You just squeeze a yeah. baby until it wets you and then the guards <laughs> laugh at him and, "Oh, Man. you crazy whatever ah. foreigner so and so get out. Yeah. No, I don't need to check your ID. Just
2: go on." <laughs> if you squeeze it too hard and it dies. You still <laughs> get away because they're like, "Oh, you got a dead baby. That's so sad." And you like, <laughs> good deal like, with that. You always yeah. Whenever you're trying to sneak across borders, it's my uh, you always need a, a handy baby yes. in your kit bag. That's what I always and, say. You always need a baby. And we have 15 each. So, we're good. <laughs> Yeah, well, I I only have three that I oh. that are legitimate. All the rest are, yeah, right. we, we don't talk about. Them, <laughs> except when they gotcha. try and turn up gotcha. Christmas time. And right, it's oh, the worst.
0: Anyway, mm. <laughs> but you're right. So. He gets through, and now he's in Moscow. And like, like you, uh, we've said before, you know, he, he he was there for a while in World War One. He hasn't been there in fourteen years, and this is certainly his first time in Moscow. Um, believe it or not, he doesn't bother to look for his estranged wife, Polkadot, who dumped his ass. And his son for another man. He just kind of sets up shop um, and gets to work because as far as we can tell, even though he's not a deep intellectual thinker, he is loyal, he is committed, and he is a hard worker.
2: But even he could tell that things weren't going great in Mm. Stalin's Russia. He wrote, I witnessed a lot of careerism and elbow pushing. I talked with collective farm members and noticed them nudging each other when they wanted to say something. People in Moscow somehow avoided each other, hesitated to speak. I was not in Moscow when the big purges occurred, but even in 1935, there were no end of arrests, and those who made the arrests were later themselves arrested. Men vanished overnight, and no one dared ask where they'd been taken. One morning, the militia surrounded a Yugoslav worker who'd been living in the Soviet Union and working in a factory for many years with his wife. They informed him he was sentenced to eight years' exile in northern Siberia. They were not even allowed to return to their flat to take their things, but were sent to Siberia directly. No one dared ask how they had offended. Because if you asked, you you ended up yeah. going as well.
0: Damn. Or they'll just shoot you to save the trip. So, yeah, so people are so afraid and things are so crazy. But obviously someone snitched on someone or someone saw something. This is almost like the... Um, what is it? The uh, the conversos in, in Spain. I mean, just, just the hint of something and your life is ruined, you get you get you disappear, you know, or you can be found guilty of something. So it's truly a crazy paranoid time in Stalin's Russia.
2: But you know what what most people don't understand is that the reason they were sent to Siberia was because there was a lot of work to be done in Siberia. They needed right. a huge labor force in Sovi- in, in Siberia to, to build factories. Mm-hmm and uh, build roads and all that kind of stuff so you know they were they were on the lookout for anyone who uh you know would, was 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 available right <laughs> did what? you you know if you, if you hadn't been uh doing your saying your 10 how marys <laughs> every day they, they right. were gonna ship you off they will and it got out of hand, obviously. I mean, I'm not saying that. Uh, right. Know, gee, fuck Bob Sullivan will be emailing me if, if <laughs> I don't say this, but <coughs> and it was completely out of hand. But the reason they were sending people to Siberia is Stalin wanted a labour force up there. He needed yeah. people, and it was hard work, right? It was it was cold. Oh, yeah. It was brutal. There were no facilities. There was a lot of famines going on in the country anyway, and it was even worse in Siberia mm-hmm. in those sorts of conditions. So people got sick people starved they they were being worked hard it wasn't like they were rounding up people to execute them they were rounding them up to turn them into a labor force yeah uh, rightly or wrongly uh depending on how you want to look at it whether they whether these people uh, had said something, or complained, or weren't on board with Stalin's program. I mean, that doesn't necessarily make it right from any sort of ethical or moral standpoint. But in Stalin's eyes, yeah, as hey. I've said before, you you were either a hundred and ten percent on board <laughs> or you weren't, or you were in and Siberia. You weren't,
0: yeah,
2: yeah, you, but- you you you're part of the. working classes.
0: But the great irony of all this is when the Germans attack in 1941, those uh, factories and things that are being built are going to be beyond the Ural Mountains. They're safe from the Germans. And when the Japanese attacked near the Mongolian border in 1938, those factories are equally far enough away so they're safe. So... Again, kind of in the that middle. That was the point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the great, right in the middle of the country. Yeah. They're safe. You can bomb, you can do whatever, but as long as those factories are still up and running and producing, we can, stay, we can survive a long war, which is exactly what Stalin was planning for. Because he knew war was coming. Everybody knew war was coming, but Stalin was
2: certainly a realist. Well, he thought he had longer to prepare for yeah, it. He wasn't he knew, real enough. No, but, but yes, he knew it was he coming. He knew it was coming. Right. Yeah. And he knew it was coming with Germany yes. too uh, and the Japanese, obviously. Yeah. Now, uh, hundreds of Yugoslav communists died in the purges. Mm. They were obviously not in Yugoslavia. A lot of them were in Moscow right. or were summoned to Moscow. Damn. A lot of the old Yugoslav communist guard, including Tito's predecessor as general secretary, Milan Gorkic. Now, he and and uh, Tito was sort of fighting each other right. for power rivals? in the party. Yeah, yeah, they were rivals, and Gorkic uh, yeah, fucked up. He, he he sort of pushed uh, his weight around too much and kind yeah. of pissed Stalin off.
0: Yeah, you don't do that. And
2: so Stalin had him fingered. Now, there were rumours over the years that Tito had done something to set Gorkic up, but at least according to Richard West's book on Tito, there's no evidence. No evidence has been found to really link Tito to what happened to Gorkich? I mean, he probably wasn't unhappy no. about it, <laughs> but uh, but he had left uh, Moscow by the time that happened. Gorkich got summoned to Moscow and then was sent to Siberia, right? From which he didn't return, and mm. then Tito got summoned to Moscow. Oh shit! And. You know, they're like, well, what do you do? And you either say, don't, uh, sorry, I, I rule number one, I never attend a banquet being held in my honor. <laughs> but that's not a good look either. So he went, <clears throat> and they said, you know what? We think you're the man for the job. Yes. But uh, it was touch and go. Now, according to, I read a great book by Alexia Gilas, mm-hmm. son of Milovan Gilas. Um, one of tito's right hand men, who later became a famous dissident we 've talked about him before, wrote a great book about Stalin right. called Conversations with Stalin about the meetings he 'd had with stalin but his son is, wrote a great book on um, yugoslavia and the the you know the, the, the that this whole period that we 're talking about, and according to yeah, him, cool. the purge of the old old guard of yugoslav communists was a good thing for communism in yugoslavia mm-hmm. because the old generation weren't really militant uh, they weren't really radical they were your old kind of well no we'll just wait till communism happens <laughs> kind of communists and uh, it when it happens right. oh we're ready We'll be oh, ready. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're ready. Come to me. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, we're not in any <laughs> hurry. A bit like the Mensheviks or... Right. Yeah. Um, you know, those sorts of guys, yeah. you know. But Whereas the new generation, oh, yes. the younger generation, yes. they had been radicalised by King Alexander's dictatorship, a lot of young university students, sort of the young intelligentsia, yeah. a bit like... The disparity. Um, the... the the kids at Oxford right. and uh, Cambridge, that, Cambridge Five, you know, were were pro, yeah, the Cambridge Five pro communists yeah. uh, in England uh, in this period. Yeah. Same sort of thing, and they were both Croats and Serbs and Slovenians. Yeah, didn't matter what your religion was, what your you know particular racial background was. They were all. Communists, they yeah. were all internationalists, they were all devoted to the USSR and Stalin. And so it was like a whole bunch of fresh blood got yes. kicked into the Yugoslav Communist Party as a result of Stalin's purges. Yeah.
0: And that's exactly what Stalin needs, because he needs, he needs, just for lack of a better word, he needs organization in other countries, he needs agents, he needs people who are doers, who can grow parties, people that you can trust, as we're going to see Tito is huge on character, so is Stalin. Stalin's like, I need the right man in the job, he's got to come from the right place backgrounds, has to have the right set of skills. Tito can speak several languages. He's a natural organizer. He's, he doesn't want to sit there and have a four-hour conversation about the finer details of Marxism. Let's get this shit done. That's exactly the type of person that Stalin needs to move his agenda forward in another country.
2: Now, after Tito is made the new general secretary of the Yugoslav Communist Party, the sort of the central committee of the Yugoslav party gets moved from Vienna to Paris Mm -hmm. and Tito lives in the Latin quarter in Paris. And he liked to stroll in the cemetery, the Père Lachaise cemetery, Mm -hmm. which was the resting place of the communards from 1871. And I, I thought this was a good opportunity, Ray, just to finish up this episode by talking a little bit about the communards. Now, I'm not, uh, embarrassingly, because of my whole thing with the Napoleon and the French Revolution and communism, I was never very aware of the communards. I always assumed it was just a term for a communist retard. When somebody said, oh, you're a communard, (laughs) I was a communist (laughs) retard. but No, it doesn't mean that at all. Something completely different. Yeah. So I want to talk about the Paris Commune uh, because it's, it's, not only relevant to this, but it's relevant to the whole Cold War and communism thing, and, and, and it's worth everyone listening to this to know a little bit about it. We're not going to do a whole series on it right now. We might do one day, but I just want to give like a high-level overview if, I, if, if that's okay with you.
0: Okay, now, Cam, before we jump into this, I just want to let you know that I am willing and able, for Tony's sake, to start in 1866 with the Austro-Prussian War. If you want to go back that far to the North German Confederation and how it all builds up, I'm your man. And I think Tony would love it or we don't have to do all that.
2: Well, I was going to start with when the uh, Germanic tribes uh, (coughs) crossed over the Rhine in (laughs) 60 BCE and caused Julius Caesar to go to (laughs) Gaul.
0: Okay, you start first. And when you get to 1866, wake me up, let me know and I'll take over. But this is for you, Tony.
2: Uh, now I'm going to start with, uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the Franco-Prussian War. So yeah. Napoleon III, a.k.a. Charles Louis Napoleon Bonaparte, nice. a.k.a. old Puffy Pants, as I like to think of him, right. um, the half-brained nephew of uh, Napoleon the Great, son of Napoleon's dumb younger brother, Louis. <laughs> uh was the first president of the French Second Republic in 1848. We, oui. But then decided being president's not cool. You know what's cool? Yeah. Being an emperor, that's cool. <laughs> My uncle did it. Yeah, I can and do it. How hard. How hard. Honestly, did, did it work out great for him? No, <laughs> but uh, uh, he didn't have the puffy so, pants. Right. I've got the puffy pants, this really cool little beard, mustache uh, going on. uh, I think, I think, like he had the hat. Yeah. The hat was awesome, don't get me wrong. uh, But he didn't have the puffy pants. I got the puffy pants. (laughs) So he uh, collapsed the Republic and founded the Second French Empire in 1851. Right. And then ended up going to war with Prussia in 1870. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that was all about?
0: Uh, Just to start it off, uh, just to give a little background. So Bismarck had already formed the North German Confederation after the Austro-Prussian War of 1866. He wants to bring in some of the southern kingdoms of Germany. But they're a little resistant, so what he needs is he needs some drama. So to make a long story short, he antagonizes uh, Napoleon the with a uh, altered telegram to make it look like a French envoy was disrespected. The French press goes eight ship, eight ship. They're demanding war, and now on uh, July fifteenth, eighteen seventy, the French begin to mobilize. The Germans hear about it. They began to mobilize too. And fuck me if it isn't going great for Otto von Bismarck. Because now the southern German kingdoms do, uh, start to mobilize a couple of days later. So... Napoleon shows up at Metz, which is on the border between, right at the border between French and uh, France and Germany. He's there in July of 1870. He wants to go on the defensive because that's what's best for the the uh, the weapons that they have. But he's getting a lot of pressure to go on the offensive. He does. He has an initial success, but then it starts to fall. Apart on him very quickly because the Germans have this incredible Krupp steel, um, artillery that they're able to use. And it's the best in the world. And they basically have one victory after another. And then suddenly, um, there's the loss of the battle of Sedan and also, um, Napoleon, I think he's trapped. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's, is he trapped?
2: Yeah. Admits. Too much detail. Too much detail. My notes just say he got his ass kicked by Otto von Bismarck. He got so, his ass kicked. Know, he, like,
0: and then Germans yeah. surround yeah. Paris. But go ahead.
2: Yes. Napoleon III, the, uh surrendered to Bismarck, gets arrested, gets detained by Bismarck <clears throat> for about know, six or seven months or something right. like that. So the Second Empire collapses and they're, they're French uh, led by like a provisional government led by Adolphe Tiers, who was, <laughs> you know, he'd, he'd fucking Tiers. I've got a book of his somewhere. He wrote a great uh, book about Napoleon the Great on really? the First Empire. He'd been prime minister in 1936, 1940, 1948, dedicated to Arc de Triomphe. Arranged for the return to France of Napoleon's body from Saint Helena nice. uh, the whole deal yeah. right like he was he was he was a good guy but he he'd been a supporter of Napoleon the Third during the Second Republic and then with the Empire Second Empire he, he fell out with uh, Napoleon the third right uh, he saw him wearing puffy pants so and nope, went, fucking, out, can't fucking out, take you seriously yeah right. yeah yeah nope I'm out. <laughs> But he's now, he's now uh, running the provisional government. He travels around Europe trying to get Britain and Russia and Austria to support him against the Prussians. Gets nowhere. Meanwhile, the war continues and Bismarck is laying siege to Paris. Yeah.
0: If I... If I could just real quick, uh, I know we don't have time for this, but basically they surround Paris with Krupp cannon. They obliterated, they, they shoot like 12,000 shells in three weeks. 20,000 Parisians are homeless. 41,000 buildings are destroyed. It's a nightmare. The south side of the Seine gets most of the damage. I mean, it is a nightmare because the Germans are going to be firing 24 hours a day. It is a hellhole in certain parts of Paris. They are just being obliterated and there's nothing they can do
2: about it. Yeah. So the National Guard is uh, about three or four hundred thousand men are the main defensive force in Paris. Mm-hmm. They mostly come from the working classes. Right. They try to break out of the siege a couple of times but fail. It's winter. It's fucking cold. Yes. How cold was it? the The Seine, the river Seine, froze solid <laughs> for three weeks. That's how fucking cold it how was. Hungry were
0: were st- how hungry were they? How hungry
2: were they Oh, People were starving. I've got a clip here of the French talking about how crazy it was. I managed to dig this up off an old clip somewhere.
1: Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty
2: years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice,
0: dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Enough,
2: I get the point. Yeah, it was crazy, right? <laughs> That's how crazy it was.
0: The people were eating the animals in the zoo, and when they ate all them, they started eating whatever rats they could catch.
2: Hard times, my friends. Oh, Hard times. Did they make rat? They made rat beards out of the rats after they yeah. rat tattooing, and then the beards. Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> rat beards. <laughs> they tried hey, to sneak out. Right. They, they, you know, the Germans were interested. Were like. Uh, <laughs> Was ist das? Oh, this is a German's uh, Ratbeard. Uh, anyway, by <laughs> early January 1871, the middle of winter, Bismarck uh, and the Prussians are sort of tired of the yes. siege, so they bring in 72 cannons.
0: Jesus. Uh,
2: and basically just start bombarding the city day and night, Yes. between 300 and 600 shells hit the city every day. This is Paris, man, Paris. Yes. The They're just center. shelling the fuck yes. out of the centre of Paris. Yeah. Yes. Meanwhile, uh, Tiers surrenders to Bismarck, and so the Parisians surrendered and signed an armistice with the Prussians.
0: Yes.
2: However... <clears throat> They convinced Bismarck not to disband the National Guard so it could continue to defend Paris. Now, the question I have for you, Ray, was who are they defending it from?
0: (laughs) Well, as as we know, the vast majority of the people in France live out in the countryside. They're Catholic, they're conservative, and that's fine. They vote that way. The people in cities, certainly like Paris, are more radical. Uh, They're more progressive. And so there's a lot of tension in Paris and the other French cities. So the National Guard not being disarmed, they're going to try to keep things calm. But at the same time, a lot of those people are coming from the working classes. They've seen the shit their parents and relatives have gone through. And so they're thinking this might be an opportunity for us to make a big change when it comes to the government of France.
2: So a third republic gets declared. Adolphe Thiers is elected as president. Uh, But the socialist movements like the First International, I mentioned earlier, that the First International got off the ground in 1864. Mm-hmm. Karl Marx and Engels were part of that. Not a big part of it, though. Yeah. They they were sort of minor players in the First International, but they were there. Um, and the socialist movements have been growing in France and the working classes, particularly in the cities. They didn't want another government by the elite, for the elite. They'd been through that yes. over and over again with the Bourbons and now Napoleon in the third. So they decided to take 400 cannons that were left in the city. Right. And many of them were in Montmartre to defend themselves against their own government.
0: Damn.
2: So the army, tears sent in the army that was slowly starting to come back from, you know, Mets and places like that, they started to come back, tried to take the cannons Uh, from the people by force and failed, basically got bloody. The people kicked the uh, army's ass, uh, surrounded the generals and murdered them in the streets. Yeah, two of them were shot. Shot. Yeah, one was shot and found with like 72 balls in his body after he was shot. (laughs) They were shot. They were hacked to pieces. Right. Because, you know, the French don't do things by halves.
0: (laughs) It's It's
2: like... The protest they had recently with the yellow jackets over there, like, ah, oh, we'll set the fucking Eiffel
0: Tower,
2: ha ha ha, we were set the Eiffel Tower on fire. We do not care. It's a national symbol of love and peace and brotherhood. <laughs> we will burn it down. You fucking watch me, fucking. Why are you still shooting him? He is love dead. The French, because
0: I am French. That's why. Yeah. Give me your gun. <laughs>
2: But <laughs> the only thing we will not do is stand up to Germans. <laughs> oh, the Germans! Well, they did. They did. I guess they they, they stood up to them with this siege for months. Yeah. Mm. The next time the Germans come, we will just let them in. We we'll say, "Hey, well, maybe the time after this is the next time." At right. some stage, we will just let the Germans come in. Anyway, so um, the National Guard end up. basically taking over the government of Paris Uh, and and sort of announce a socialist government. And according to Marx, this is the first dictatorship of the proletariat in history. It's actually where I think he came up with the term from, the dictatorship of the proletariat, is when the workers in Paris and the National Guard said, fuck you to the elites, to the capitalists, and they... Took control of the city, and decided to push through a progressive, secular, highly democratic, huh. social democracy. It sounds evil. <laughs> yeah, oh, like let me read off the list of evil things that they they had. Right. Ray. separation of church and state. I'm out. Evil. Right. A remission of rents owed for the entire period of the siege. Mm, uh, it's a bit much. It's a bit like what's happ- what happening now with lockdown. Yes. An um, abolition of child labour and night work in bakeries. Uh, who's Evil. Gonna,
0: who's going to make my little pasty, puffery thing in the morning when I get up to have coffee? I want the children with the little hands kneading the dough. Yeah. Come on.
2: Yeah. Come, Come on. on. <laughs> Granting of pensions to the unmarried companions and children of National Guardsmen killed in active service. No. Nope, they Evil. They, were, they knew what they were
0: signing up for. Fuck them.
2: Yeah, yeah. We, we, I mean, they didn't have choice. We made them <laughs> sign up for it. But still, still they still. knew what we were making them sign up for. Uh, <laughs> free return by pawn, ships, pawn shops of all workmen's, workmen's tools and household items that were pledged during the siege. Evil. That's fair. Um, <laughs> postponement of commercial debt obligations and the abolition of interest on debts, evil, right, right of employees to take over and run an enterprise if it was deserted by its yep. owner during the siege. Evil. But right. they recognise the previous owner's right to compensation. Oh. We're going to take over your business, but we will pay you. Because that's what's right. F- yeah. Evil, obviously. Obviously. Prohibition of fines imposed by employers on their workmen uh, during the siege. I can't. All church property to become public property, and Mm. they wanted to exclude the practice of religion from schools. Hell yeah. Oh, that
0: sounds great.
2: Go ahead. All of that was evil enough, but (laughs) the thing that really did it in my book was when they toppled and destroyed the (sighs) Vendome column... Yeah. Erected by Napoleon <laughs> the Great, with his statue on top. Well, it was erected in honor of him. Right. Um, and now this was actually the idea of the painter Gustave Corbet. Right. Did you come with? Did you come with us to the Museum of Modern Art in Paris when we were there? Or I think you that's st- when I ditched that. Yeah, I, ditched you that. yeah. No, I You were there. No, you were there. Grand was there. No, Grand no, did Grand Jane go to Normandy with you? No, no. she wasn't. You invited. went to you went to Versailles with her, didn't you? Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't mean that as a euphemism. Like you actually <laughs> no. went to the palace. <laughs> yes. Yes. You went to Normandy. <laughs> yes. Oh well a- Adrian we so- was it Adrian? Yeah. Uh, Adrian, go yeah. Go ahead. We saw Gustave Courbet's most famous painting uh, at the, the the Museum of Modern Art in Paris. It's a huge, big, hairy pussy. Wow! Um, wow! The French. Look it up, yeah. Gust- Gustave Courbet, hairy vajayjay. Uh, it's one of my favourite paintings. It's actually called <laughs> the Birth of the Birth of the World or something, I think. Ooh, dear. Uh, But uh, you know, I just call it the hairy pussy. Right. Big hairy muff. <laughs> big hairy bush. Huge hairy bush. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> oh my
0: God. So I just have to say, if Napoleon's column was knocked down, but Tears home, the uh, the new premier, his home was also destroyed as well. So not exactly tit for tat, but as close as you're going to get.
2: Yeah. Now, uh, roughly 20,000 communards were executed when... Mm. Tears came back and uh, took possession of Paris again. There's a thing called Semaine Sanglante, the bloody week. Yes. Semaine Sanglante. 20,000 communards were executed. Another 7,500 were jailed or deported, which continued until there was an amnesty in the 1880s. So the first great communist experiment... Right. Uh, happened in Paris, and when Tito was there, he went and paid his respects right. to the first, the graves of the first right. communists at uh, the the, the uh, Lachey, uh, Cemetery.
0: If I can just add on to that, and the and the very last battle of the bloody week was on May 27th at 6 p.m. in that very same cemetery. There were 200 men left. They were surrounded by, because I think uh, the general for the regular army was able to sneak in 60,000, at least of his troops, into a part of the wall that wasn't being watched. And the last 200 men were killed literally in that cemetery. Some of them surrendered, but they were shot anyway right on the spot. And that is where Tito Mm. is walking around. Well, that is
2: that, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back next week with uh, more of the rise and fall of Tito. Uh let me just play this one more time.
1: Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies, rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave,
2: human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, That's hysteria. enough if I get the point.
1: Have you made your decision for Christ? Military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. And pussy's half price next 15 minutes. <laughs>